0: And if I got that wrong, I'm really sorry. I'm I'm gonna keep trying. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performances and general artsy things uh, in Edmonton. We are part of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And well, this week we have a very special guest uh, and a very important conversation. And Paul is back for this one too. So. In addition to the massive recent response from businesses and organizations expressing solidarity with Black Lives Matter, over the past few weeks, a new hashtag also started circulating in the theater community— in the Dressing Room. On the Edmonton side of things, when the Sterling nominations came out on June 1st, playwright Makram Ayache, um, of course, terribly sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, on Facebook, he said that while he was grateful with the nomination for his play, The Green Line, he was also disheartened at being the only playwright of color in any of the playwrighting categories, and that there were only sprinklings of racialized people in categories robustly made up of mostly white people, and that the Sterling jury is, well, also surprise mostly white people this post started off a chain reaction from our guest today in the form of open letters on social media she started asking Edmonton's theater companies directly what their representation looked like not only on stage but off stage as well in the letters she also shares her own distinct personal experiences with those companies and with her experiences in two of the city's theater training programs in this chat, we cover how social media can be used to call in, not necessarily call out organizations on their past, how Edmonton theater companies are responding to public questions about representation of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in their casts, staff, boards, and otherwise, and just what might be wrong with an artistic director who stays at the same company for 20 years. Everyone... Please give it up for our guest today. She is a Latinx artist and actor living here in Edmonton from Brazil, and she is so graciously patient when helping one learn how to pronounce her lovely name. Here is our chat with Natasia Napolial. And if I got that wrong, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm going to keep trying.
1: Welcome, Natercia. Um, How are you?
2: Um well it's it's been quite a week but um I I'm feeling hopeful today and I I notice how I always in my journey of advocacy and this line of work for a couple of years now I I do tend to always circle back to being hopeful um and I'm really really thankful for that
1: that's uh, that's uh, that's. It's good that that's what it circles back to. Um, uh, maybe to to start us off, tell us a little bit about where um, these letters to, to theater companies started for you.
2: Um, I. So okay, well, this time around, I was called in by uh, a playwright by the name of Makram Ayache, and I'm hoping that I didn't just butcher his last name, but Macram, um I'm a big fan of Macrom, and he called me in on a, a conversation regarding the Sterling Awards, mm-hmm. and uh, so it started there. And my questions, upon reflection, just started to kind of bubble up in me. Uh, and then I just decided to say to myself, "You need to, um, you need to ask these questions for." every single theater company. And if I could do it Canada wide and have, a have an, uh, an intimate relationship with each and every single theater company to know exactly what to ask for every single theater company, I would. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is I've made the majority of my career here, um, you know, or attempt of a career here in Edmonton. And these are the people and the organizations, I've been either attempting to be a part of, um, been a part of, uh, or I know a lot of these folks socially. So I feel like I have a place to, to be in this conversation.
1: Right. I mean, one thing, uh, that's connected to all of your letters is, um, all of them have, um, sort of, uh, they're, they're structured very, very well. Um, but, and near the end, it's, uh, involves sort of a a personal connection you have to either this company or a situation you were in, um, that sort of speaks to that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and um, and that was a a that was a really difficult decision and multifaceted because I and I address this in the header of my letters. I'm not Black or Indigenous, um, and so I had to kind of grapple with what does it mean? What does it mean to put my story as a Latinx woman uh, as an example? Can I use, can I ask, can I possibly ask a colleague of mine that is black or indigenous to give me their story. Um, I couldn't for me in that moment in doing this, and I'm no expert, but I, I personally could not do that. And I don't have the permission to share somebody else's story, whether they've told me about it in in, in confidence or whether they've been vocal about it socially. Um, I don't have, I don't feel comfortable to do that. So I used my own story And, um, I've put it together with the questions because I think there's a, there, there's a line to draw, but I don't want to guide people as to what that line is. I'd rather people just read it and reflect on what, what the relationship is. Um, for the sake of some of our listeners,
0: uh, can you give us a sense of your your career path and what has um you know what where they may have Edmonton audiences have may have already seen you on stage, um and also what um what are some of the experiences that have led up to um what you're what you're also now able to share in these letters?
2: Yeah. Um. Well. Here in Edmonton, we have two training institutions. We have the Grant McEwan Theatre Arts Program, and we have the University of Alberta's uh, uh, Drama Department. So, um, what makes my story a bit unique too is that I actually have a relationship um, with both of these training organizations. So, I started very late in the game compared to theatre kids you know, who started acting at a very, very young age. I was considered a late bloomer. Um, I immigrated into Canada, uh, permanently around like 97, 1997. I'm from Brazil. Um, so I'm a first generation immigrant who a couple of years after, uh, coming to Edmonton, I, I decided to put all my eggs in one basket and and become an actor. Um, and, uh, and so Grant McEwen was my first stop. I And I talk about that journey in one of the letters. Um, and after that, I just started to uh, put myself out there and I started to get gigs slowly but surely. And uh, I eventually got one that made me an equity member. Um, so I became a professional in that regard. And, uh, and then, yeah, followed by many years of just mostly trying to be a part of the community here and Canada wide, but not being disappointed in that, <laughs> in that venture. Um, but yeah, I have been on stage. I, and I talk about that in, in the letters as well. you know, I was a part of free will Shakespeare at some point, And uh, I've done exciting work with tiny bear jaws and other companies that I respect a lot. Uh, I've done some, some friend shows as well. Um, so, yeah, um, the the companies that
0: that you've written to, um, I was going through I was going through the post. So forgive me if I've missed one. Um, you had Theatre Network, the Freewell Shakespeare Festival, Teatro La Quindicina, uh, the Grant McEwen Theatre Arts Company and the Citadel Theatre. Um, and also um, specifically to the Sterling Awards. You mentioned Makram's letter initially. Do you want to give a, a bit of sense of what he was
2: writing about initially? Um, yeah, I, I I wish he was here to, to, to give his perspective. And I, I, I want to try to be careful not to, to speak for him. So I'll maybe frame it in, in terms of my, my understanding of my own perspective of reading his, his writing and in talking to him, um, there's just been such a lack there's a lack. There's a lack of BIPOC people in our community in so many facets, and in that moment, I think he was identifying how he's one of the few people. He's incredibly appreciative for being nominated, but he's he's one of the few people who are nominated, and that's that's frustrating. It's very very frustrating, and it's it's been very um, frustrating. Doesn't really encompass it. It's 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 very hurtful, you know, uh, and it. It's actually, it doesn't speak to our potential as a theater community. And that's a shame. There's so much opportunity present right now in our hands. So I think that's what he was talking about
0: since these letters have started coming out, you have been receiving some responses uh, from the artistic leadership of these companies. And w- as well, um, the Sterlings issued a bit of a, a full report really um, on at least that at least on their, the makeup of some of their juries. Um, so how do, how do you feel about the responses that have come out so far?
2: I'm, I'm hopeful about them. I, I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, they're, Whenever we've had serious issues come up in the past, there there's been a mix of response, and uh, there was you know I I can't water it down. I was really scared to write about these things. I um I it's brought up a lot of, and I don't use this word lightly. It, trauma trauma that I didn't even know I had in my body mm-hmm. come out. I it's been a really tough time, uh, but it's also been <laughs> A really beautiful time as well. Um, I am appreciative for people's responses to my letters and the, the start of a dialogue and just an expression of we hear you and, um, let's just start, let's start this relationship. Let's figure out what these, what this data is, what this, what these statistics are and let's disseminate how, how we got here. And I'm hoping that in the midst of that, there's, um, there's healing that happens. You know, I, part of the reason why I'm asking for these statistics is we need to acknowledge before we create something new, how we've operated so far and how that's, that it has, it hurt, it has hurt a lot of people. Um, and I'm only one, one tiny example in that. Uh, and then from there, we can, collectively build something new. And and that is a big feat. Don't don't get me wrong, but let let's start here and let's be honest. <laughs> and uh we all have an idea of what these statistics are going to look like. I mean, it's part of the reason why there's frustration to begin with. We know the BIPOC presence isn't large by any means. Um but let's um let's be transparent and honest about this so that we can move forward.
1: Right. Um, I think you you just partly answered this um, in in your last response, but um, in your letters you really um, take a moment to emphasize that these are call-ins. They're not. You're not calling out companies. Um, can you maybe speak to the idea of having this conversation in in public, and not only posting these letters publicly, but sort of in asking uh, these companies to respond publicly as well?
2: Absolutely. Um, I think. I first heard of the term call-in by a colleague of mine uh, named Elena Bellier. She's a fantastic playwright and um, um, artistic asso- associate with um, Tiny Bear Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Elena, if I mistitled you just there. Uh, I just know that that's your company. Um, she, During my production with her in Cleve, she used that – terminology. And I, I really respected that. And I've in this age of social media, when there has been a lot of call out energy, and I'm not putting that down, maybe there is a place for it. And maybe we have to honor people's anger when they call people out. I'm, I'm not, I'm no expert in this. But I personally wanted to use the, the, um, the energy of a call in because ultimately, despite everything that's happened in this community, I care about these companies. I care about these people. I care about the white people who are involved. I want them to do better. I deeply care about my BIPOC community. I just want us to all do better. So in the spirit of of coming together, that's why I want to say and uh, frame it as a call-in in addition to these letters
0: you're using, you are using the hashtag in the dressing room. Um, and this is a movement that we've seen uh, sort of pick up steam in the last few weeks throughout the theater community um, in the United States and throughout Canada as well. So can you, um, uh, wh- what is the in the dressing room hashtag and why did you decide to use that in a conversation that's so like very um, really centered around um, organizations in Edmonton?
2: Absolutely. Um, well, as far as I know, in the dressing room, uh, was a hashtag that was created around the black experience, uh, at the Stratford Festival. And, um, that's a, I'm, I'm still in awe of the, the courage and the, I'm in awe of the the impact, the negative impact that the, uh, the Black community at Stratford has been through. I'm still thinking about it every single day. So as far as I know, the genesis of that hashtag started there. Um, I started to put them in my letters because of a colleague that I uh, touched base with privately, that I asked for support, feedback. Uh, she Um, was very supportive towards me. And she said, you should use that hashtag um, because equity is reading. They're reading the stories associated with these hashtags. And it's very important for them to know the emotional impact of what the BIPOC community at large uh, has been through, Mm -hmm. you know, because this, this does, it it is a conversation that will affect our union um, uh, association, I should say, uh, yeah, they need to know. So, yeah, it's, and it's also a hashtag that allows for other BIPOC people to, and white people in the community at large, absolutely, to understand what's happening here in Edmonton and to follow the story, because I think there's going to be a lot of good things that will come out of this. So it connects us. Um, One of the other
0: uh, associations or I get groups, I noticed, um, you're involved with is called the 3.7% initiative.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about that initiative? Oh, absolutely! It's, it's such an exciting endeavor. Um, 3.7 was uh, started by Sherry Yoon at Boca del Lupo in Vancouver, and it is a um, an initiative that is meant to um, support to educate through peer to peer mentorship. And opportunities that um, at at this point we're still finding out about, like what we can do for each other for uh, BIPOC women and uh, non-binary, because we actually make up um, 3.7% of Canadian theatre leadership. That's how little uh, we represent across the country. And uh, and that, that needs to change. So... Um, Concrete Theatre, mieko Auchi, Nadine Chu, Sang Sang Lee, Gina Puntle. they have created an Edmonton chapter to um, further this cause, uh, and I'm extremely proud to be associated with them. But I do need to mention that, you know, my posts weren't um, associated with this group. I, I spoke out of my own my own voice. Nobody told me to write anything. This this came from me. But that being said, I love I love my association to three point seven.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, well, so let's
0: talk about the posts themselves. What What are the some of the questions that you ask in these for people who haven't had a chance to read them yet?
2: Um. Okay. Well, maybe the best thing for me to. Uh, do to break it down is to present this idea of first noticing this big question, which I first had, and I've had for years of, where are all the BIPOC people? Mm-hmm. in yeah. theater? where are they? I know they're here. A lot of them aren't getting employed. I'm not getting employed. Why are white people consistently not only in power, they're making up boards. They are, are are fight directors. They are choreographers. They are in leadership positions, um, and they're they're driving the industry. And why why is that? So now, um, step away from that big question to realize that preceding that question are many many other. Little, I will, I will call many building questions leading up to that one. So now it gets pretty complex and complicated when I start to ask questions about who is on your board, right? Um, is it mostly white? Is it mostly male and white? Um, how how did we get there? Why what why is that? So let's come out with these statistics like show us the numbers of who makes up your leadership. Um, who makes up your marketing team, who, uh, who directs your plays, who are your guest directors to trickling down to, um, to actors, right? Uh, I know I'm leaving out stage managers and things that I don't intend to leave out, but um, uh, you know, and for myself, I land at actors because I, I am an actress uh, who are, who's occupying your season in terms of performers. And why is that? Um, and then I come back to the word opportunity and investment, you know, and that's the next step in, in, in noticing who's not being given opportunity and how, how can we do that? How can we invest in the BIPOC community? One of the, uh, one of the other things I noticed that you ask about is sort of
0: the behavior of artistic leadership, just in the community. Um, and in terms of, you know, our, are the artistic directors going to see new plays? Are they inviting people to audition? Um, as we know, it's no really big secret that a lot of the professional theatre companies, um, probably not just in Edmonton, probably everywhere, um, they don't always hold public open auditions. Um, and if Equity didn't make them do that, I'm not always sure that they would. Um, except, well, hopefully now things are changing that. But
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's There's been a, a closed club, You know, between the BIPOC community, um, that's been a term used a lot. It just feels like a closed club of people. And uh, that shouldn't be. Um, Not when you're using also public money, you know, and I'm sure you'll have a question about that too. But I have a big argument for. Uh, if you're going to continue to do this and ask for public funding, especially when you have to answer in 2020 questions, like what are you contributing to inclusivity and diversity? Um, yeah, I, there, there, there's some inquisitive (laughs) questions that I might have towards your organization. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. It seems like, um. The idea of of diversity has been brought up a lot more in the last um, the last the more recent years, um, but that isn't being reflected necessarily in a change of of some of the the categories you mention of of leadership of of the people the bodies were seen on stages, um, and and that sort of thing. So it's it seems often it comes up as like this is what we want to do, but there isn't that, that follow through necessarily, or there hasn't been that follow through, um, as visibly. I do
0: really love in the letters that, that you've posted how there is a specific question about putting, um, what their diverse practices or equity practices are in what they say that they put in the grant. Um, and I'm not sure that you'll get a lot of specific answers on, on that specific question, but you know, it is being asked in all of the grant applications, um, in recent years, so so it's important to start knowing um, what people are saying in those applications compared to what we actually see um, in practice as these companies are presenting in their seasons when we get you know real seasons again, <laughs> whenever that will be. But
2: absolutely, and I'll add a really important um, uh, layer to the the onion peeling of this, and there are many of them, um, but I care about at this point. Uh, no lip service. I don't, I, I don't, when, when companies are announcing new positions and initiatives, um, I, I'm questioning them. And the reason why I'm questioning them is I don't want dead end positions to be offered to the BIPOC community just so you can use that initiative in a grant application. I, I think that's actually very disrespectful. You need to create meaningful, uh opportunities for the BIPOC community. And you will need to take some time to to define and design what that is. Um, so speaking about you know 3.7, a lack of female leadership across Canada, what are male white artistic directors doing to support in a very real way um, uh, the BIPOC female and non-binary community to be ushered into a position of leadership, right? So that they can take, you know, maybe they'll be ushered in to take over an artistic director um, position, or they can take that experience uh, uh, to another work opportunity, to another form of employment um, in leadership. Um, Yes. I'll leave it there for now, but yeah, go ahead, Paul.
1: Great. I I was just going to say one of the, in one of your letters, you bring up the idea of investing, Um, and that idea of, of sort of consistency, which is one of the things that's been lacking of like, okay, maybe there's, um, uh, yeah, uh, it's one, one thing comes up or another thing, but there isn't that, that consistency. There isn't that investment in the long-term opportunities.
2: Yeah, that's, um, I, I meant what I said in that letter about, investment as a word has weighed heavily in my thought of the 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 scope of what that means for any artist um yes like at this point we need to define what investment is for the BIPOC community and how we can support them uh and it's through continued support uh (laughs) there's so many people to take care of um And we need to give them a chance and a continued chance. So, you know, Stratford um, is a really good example of an organization. If they follow through on this, I'm not saying that they will. I really hope that they will, but they've explored this idea of not parachuting in Indigenous actors into their seasons, um, but really investing in their development, you know, in, in 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 the canon and in the classical canon, maybe even dissecting the classical canon to uh, include uh, more indigenous content. Um, yeah, so it, it's about meaningful contribution. Yeah, and I
0: it's interesting because I know working in arts um, from the administration side that theater organizations have a huge problem where it comes to actually planning for succession and, um, and not just, you know, in their, in their leadership, but, um, actually investing in that succession over time. Um, and so it is a, it is a huge area of opportunity, I think, to, to really examine, um, what not only investing now looks like, but then when it looks like in another like five or 10 years, when hopefully the leadership will turn over,
2: Yeah. And I have, I have a lot of thoughts regarding, look, the relationship between the board and the artistic director, you know, Mm -hmm. another layer to the onion is, let's say that we have a black artistic director. Now, let's look at the reality of it. The artistic director is an employee of the board. So What does it look like and how does it feel for a BIPOC, a Black artistic director, to be employed by a group of 10 uh, white men? (laughs) You know, are we solving the problem there? No, there's more to do, obviously. I'm going to be very, 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 very blunt. Is it responsible, um, and I'm really talking to the boards out there, is it responsible for you to keep – Uh, the same artistic director in a position of power for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you if that's responsible. And you know what? There's potential, there's potential corruption in that. And I don't use that word lightly because it can feel now that that artistic director has a hold of the board. And that's very problematic um, in terms of just managing change evolution in your organization. So to the board out there, you got to pay attention to that. And you got to ask yourself in this age of systemic racism, and uh, our culpability in it, especially because we label ourselves as highly liberal uh, minded, we are not as liberal as we think we are. Not when we dissect and look in our own backyard. So There is much to talk about. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I could talk about boards for a really, really long time Um, because it is it is such an odd dynamic. You have a group of volunteers usually that are, um, yeah, holding a lot of power and a lot of public funding. Um, And and there's often not enough push um because they do feel in some cases unqualified even though they are legally responsible for all of that money and what that organization does um so anyway sorry little tangent there um on my own I,
1: uh i think it's an interesting like the dynamic of boards and artistic directors that you both brought up um it's interesting that i uh and maybe this doesn't speak to every company but um a lot of boards have fixed terms for their board members, uh, whether that's six years or five years or, or something like that. But that's not the case with artistic directors. So sometimes if you think about like, yeah, that question of institutional memory um, just complicates that sort of power, I think, in terms of, of what, what boards are, are willing to do and willing to, to think about. When, when board members have sort of fixed terms, um, but artistic directors do not, um, and I'm not saying either one of those is necessarily the solution, but, um, it complicates that, that power dynamic when, when you have, um, uh, an artistic director who sort of is the through line of a company, um, and board members who don't maybe stay on that, that same duration. Um, yeah, it just, it just becomes a more complicated dynamic, I think.
2: Absolutely. So it's really interesting, right? Because I, I have gone into imagination land with trying to strategize and re-envision what could be. And one of the things I've envisioned is. Or pondered, I should just say, um, what does it look like if artistic directors had a five-year term or less? Maybe what if they had a three-year term? What kind of turnover could we get? How would that be impactful in a positive sense, in a negative sense? But what could that do for the development of, of the BIPOC community trying to have experience and, and, and position and development in a leadership position? um what's problematic right now is that there's a lot of people who don't want to make space they don't they don't want to make space so we're going to have to have serious reflection on what that really means and what that looks like knowing <laughs> i'll couch this all with knowing that the white narrative the white gaze the white story will always be present it will it's, it's going to always be present. I think, um, I could be wrong, but, uh, there will always be room for a white person in the theater. You mentioned
0: before that, um, the questions that you're putting out there, um, the answers, we sort of know a lot of the answers that these companies are going to be, are going to give or are, are sort of able to give at this moment in time. Um, and the, the, Important thing to think about um, is is how can they change uh, so that those questions are different and better in the future. I, I suppose. Um, but what um, for the answers that you have gotten, I want to cite specifically the Sterling Committee and the jury. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the document that they sent out.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, i I have but I haven't really gone through it with with the attention that I want to just now it's um I've had to take <laughs> in full disclosure just some time to also just watch a cat video and <laughs> not,
0: <laughs> fair, not, fair yeah, enough
2: <laughs> kind of heal from my own personal trauma and like remember to eat and sleep and you know do my laundry so i I obviously will get to it but I have skimmed over it. So I might be able to speak to what you're about to say. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Mostly just wanted to know if, um, not if it was enough, knowing that the answers never really could have been enough. Um, But, uh, but what was it what you were expecting? Um, And what do you hope maybe comes
2: next? Um, Oh, yeah. Well, look, I think many people maybe feel uh, put on the spot. Uh, the downside of me approaching this through social media was very purposeful. I gave a lot of thought about it and I recognize that with using social media, there's, um, there's a call out energy associated to it. Like I mentioned before, uh, but I do want to say to these companies, like we, we all know what the numbers are going to be. We we know what we're going to see, um, But the spotlight truly is on how can that inform us all together, collectively, out in the open, in the spirit of transparency, everyone across Canada can be friends with me on Facebook and see what these numbers are. How can we all collaborate together to create meaningful action? And uh, and yeah, I, I am calling on these companies to make a plan um, of what action they're going to take for next year, the year after how they can amend that action and make it a living document to, uh, in consul- consultation with the BIPOC community to, to keep amending it and keep moving forward. Um, we have so much opportunity, which is the first word I use when we started this podcast. It's, um, endless. It's, the opportunities are endless.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I think a, a phrase I'm hearing a lot right now is like sitting in discomfort. And, and that idea of like, you're right, as, as sort of uh, was just said, like, we, we sort of know what these numbers are going to be. And they're not flattering um, uh, in, in most cases. But, but the idea of like, great, well, if we all look at them out in the open, um, what, what does that make us think about that if we're just looking at these privately, that we don't force ourselves to take action on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's complacency in these private conversations. And while I was asking for no private phone calls or meetings, I'm partly doing that because I want to protect myself. I don't want to be silenced or... I don't want to receive microaggressions, macroaggressions, normal sized aggressions in private because I've lived a lot of my life that way. I still do. You know, I just went to a Starbucks the other day and I ordered a drink and because of how my name is spelled, um, everybody else had their, <laughs> their names called out for their drinks as a, I'm waiting. And, uh, when it came to mine, um, the gentleman just said cold brew. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. uh, I lived with this a lot. Um, and I, but I think that there's great positivity in us all being in the same boat and doing something about it together. So it it will hopefully bring a sense of comfort in an era of discomfort to Edmonton theater. Um, We truly are in it together. There are very few companies that are um, uh, consistently uh, raising BIPOC voices you participated in
0: the Citadel stuck in the house series, um, sort of in early, early days of the pandemic. Um, and I just wanted to ask why, um, why you chose that specific song and footage, uh, from when you were in the bathtub with the footage of, uh, I think it was from perfect strangers, the TV show. (laughs)
2: Um, yeah, that video totally spoke to my mindset at the time. Um, I, I wasn't, asked by the Citadel Theater to do that video, I asked. So that's um, quite on trend with a lot of what I've done in my career. I've tried to reach out to companies and say, can I be a part of this? Um, but yes, it's uh, that was completely a video of me trying to amuse myself. Um, one of my exposures growing up um, in learning English uh, was to old uh, 80s American TV shows and a lot of these jingles and uh theme songs have been in my head for years and i've always laughed at myself in the shower because i'm a singer as well as an actress i've i sing that song in the shower very frequently and uh that was really just uh, like an inside joke that <laughs> a few people who know me really well w- would find that funny. And the other people who watch that who went, oh, my gosh, this is so random. What is happening right now? I I welcome that response, too. That's, uh, that's valid. And I don't really, really care. <laughs> but also, it's kind of like my... Um, my secret audition song that I always wanted to sing it at audition and how fun would it be to just go into the Citadel and say, I'm going to sing the theme from Perfect Strangers. (laughs) 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 This
0: episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Storylines, a podcast from women in film and television, Alberta. Storylines highlight some of our province's most successful women in film and television. Both behind the camera and in front of it. Host Sheena Rossiter shares more about what to expect from this podcast.
3: I'm Sheena Rossiter, the host of Storylines, a podcast brought to you by Women in Film and Television Alberta. It's a podcast for filmmakers by filmmakers, but it's also a podcast for film and television lovers. We've been speaking with some of the most successful women in film and television with links to Alberta, and we'll hear about everything, from how they got their start in the industry, I was writing before I could even spell, I think it's in your blood to getting a behind the scenes look at some of their best projects. Oh yes, it was really difficult to get broadcasters on board. And hearing about some of the obstacles they faced along the way.
0: We're making waves, but there's still some barriers
2: to power and access that we're still facing.
3: These stories of determination and persistence are the storylines that make up these women's careers. Join me, Sheena Rossiter, as we hear from some of the brightest minds in film and television from in front of and behind the camera. Subscribe now to Storylines wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead.
0: Taproot Edmonton is a source of curiosity-driven stories about our city, cultivated by the community. In addition to their weekly roundups on local topics like media, city council, food, business, music, and arts, there's now a special page on COVID-19 in Edmonton, where the community can ask questions about Edmonton's response to and experience of the pandemic, with a running list of answers curated from reliable sources. You can sign up to become a member and get more info at taprootedmonton.ca. You know, I really get that thing where you don't want to give the Starbucks employee your name because it's just not a common one. And uh, yeah, I always, I always just say my name is Jane. So there. Um, and I also really love Perfect Strangers as a kid. Oh my God, Belky and the Dance of Joy. That's that's like where it's at. That's that's all we need um, in life now. I think maybe a little little Dance of Joy. In the show notes, we will share uh, links to uh, num- a bunch of the things that we talked about um, to Makram Ayache's post about the Sterling nomination. Uh, again, we'll post the full list of Sterling nominations and the internal analysis report that the Sterling's committee released after some of these questions started coming out. We'll also post Natarcia's letters to the Sterling's um, and Theatre Network and the Free Will Shakespeare Festival, as well as the 3.7% initiative, which is hosted by Concrete Theatre here in Edmonton. Uh, we'll post the second house video that we were talking about with Perfect Strangers uh, and the Globe and Mail article on um, a new wave of black female artistic leadership coming up in Canadian theatre thank you so much again to Natascha for taking the time and energy to chat with us this week we really appreciate it so much Uh, it was lovely to chat with you Go see some shows, everyone, from the safety of your home Wi-Fi online. And do your part to make sure you are seeking out and supporting BIPOC artists. And if you can, send those artists a donation. They sure could use it. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app.
1: I don't get it is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio.
0: Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I
1: don't get it is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush and Paul Blenoff. I don't get it. I